Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. There's a phrase maybe you've heard and it goes something like this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And the idea is that if you want to go fast, you can do it all by yourself, all on your own. But if you want to go far, it's good to have people go with you. And that's a phrase that's used by businesses, organizations, even schools talk about that. And it's so helpful, it's so hopeful, and it takes us forward. But here's what I'm curious about. When I think about that phrase, it always has to do with businesses and employees and those that we lead. Why is it that we're so fascinated with leading businesses? And why is it that we're so fascinated with leading employees, but not those that we love in our family? Like, why are we so interested in taking our teams further, but not our spouse? And why are we so interested in taking our employees further, but not our kids? Have you ever noticed that, that we'll talk more about the things that we are involved in, that we're leading, rather than talking about our families and leading them into a better future? Why why don't we prioritize and be intentional about those that we love, those that we call family? I think there's a couple of thoughts there. Here's the first. Here's why we do it. We, We do it because we didn't get to choose our family, right? We got to choose our business, we got to choose our employees, we got to choose our school, but most of us don't get to choose our family. We're born into this family, and how we see our family is very different than how we see the organization that we are a part of or that we lead, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But here's the second thought. Our family can actually be the ones that hurt us the most, and being hurt hurts, right? Like, that's the most brilliant thing I'm going to say today, all right? Being hurt actually hurts. And when we're hurt, we have a tendency to disconnect emotionally from those that hurt us, especially if they're family. And we'll say things like, well, just because we're blood doesn't make us family, which is true. But that's our way of protecting our hearts. That's our way of protecting our souls. That's our way of thinking that we're going to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. And maybe that's why. We prioritize those we lead in our organizations and schools and even churches over those that we are in a family with, that we're married to, that we're parenting. So what do we do? Well, here's what I know about you because I know it's true of me. We all want things to be better. We all want better relationships. We want better attitudes. We want better environments in our homes. We all want a better future that's better than our past, right? So let's, let's talk about how we can do that together today. In fact, starting today and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how you and I can build a better future, a better family future. And no matter what your family looks like, this is an opportunity for you and for me, because a better story for our future is possible. Now, here's what you need to know before we even dive in, that this is not completely up to you. I know you thought it was. I know that you thought all of the work to build a better future rests upon your shoulders. And and I want you to hear me very loud and very clear. 
it's not up to you. It's not all on your shoulders. In fact, you are not the savior. You are not God. You are not Lord. You are not gonna fix this, solve this, or redeem this on your own. So before we have any more conversation, before I share any more words, can we just take a deep breath and relax, knowing that it isn't all on us to make this better around us. You are a part of it, but so is your family. Building a better future for your family isn't done in isolation. It takes everyone. And that's why we must do this all together now. And again, starting today and over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about how to do just that. But today I wanna set the table for you. I wanna set the scene for you. Today I wanna take you to some scriptures in the New Testament that helps get our heart ready for how we build a better future. The New Testament writers, they wrote in remarkable ways, inspired by the Holy Spirit to share some really great things that Jesus said and Jesus did and Jesus taught. One of the things I appreciate about the New Testament writers is they would take the words of Jesus and they would apply them into real tangible moments, real tangible life, like real life, like family life, like spouse to spouse relationships or parent-to-child relationships, or child-to-parent relationships, or brother-to-sister and sister-to-brother relationships. Whatever the relationships are in your family, there are words that Jesus spoke that the writers of the scriptures, they wrote down and applied to help us understand how we can love and serve each other in a better way. Here's some of the things that they wrote down. Honor your father and your mother. Husbands, honor your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed should be kept pure. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Submit to one another out of reverence or honor for Christ. Do you notice a common theme in all of those? Different directives, different commands. The theme was honor. Doesn't honor feel like a lost art? Doesn't it feel like it's not something we do anymore? Like it feels as though many people don't live honorably anymore. You know what honor feels like? It feels like when we were kids, when we were trying to record our favorite song on the radio on our boombox with our cassette tape and we were hoping the DJ wouldn't talk over the intro so we could get the whole song. Now, if you're like under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? So here's what we did. We had these cassette tapes that we would put in a boom box and we would record on the radio when our favorite song. So we'd sit there and wait for our favorite song to come on the radio. And you might say, well, what about Spotify? What about iTunes? You spoiled brat. We didn't have that. You have that, right? And so we had to wait for the DJ to play our song. And if we could get the request in, he'd play it like hours later. That's a lost art. We don't do that anymore. And honor feels like that. Honor feels like blowing on the Nintendo game cartridge to try to get the Nintendo game to actually work. Now today you can just press power and the game actually works. You can download it quickly off the internet. But back in the day, we had to do all of these like jumping through hoop moments to get our games to actually work. It was a lost art. It feels like that's what honor is like. Honor feels like printing out the MapQuest directions, right? Or maybe even reading a map. Like that's a lost art. 
It honor feels like a lost art. It feels like many people don't live honorably anymore. Here's the truth. Honor is a virtue that must be restored if you and I are to tell better stories. Better stories in our families, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our work, in our marriages. If we're going to tell better stories, honor must be a part of that. And so today I want to start by just talking about honor. What is it and how it impacts what we do? Here's the definition we're going to run with today and over the next few weeks. Honor is the recognition of your value and your contribution and your importance. The word honor in the scriptures actually represents a a heaviness. It's weighty. It's giving weight to someone. It's not calling them fat because that would not be recommended or good, but it's actually giving weight to them because like a precious metal, when it weighs more, it actually is more precious. It has more cost. It has more value. And when we give honor to somebody, we we are giving value to them. We're dignifying them. Here's how Paul put it in the scriptures. He said, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Like to give honor is to dignify the other person. It's to say, I see you and I hear you and I value you. This is why honor is so important in our families. It actually gives us a way forward on how we treat each other and how we serve each other and how we love each other. And I want to give you an example from the letter that Luke writes called Acts in the scriptures. And it's an example from the life of a man named Paul who did write most of our New Testament. Now this isn't about his family, but these people that he's around are like family to him. And we're going to discover what honor does in moments where there's great tension and how it helped them to love and serve each other. And so if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app on your phone, would you turn to Acts chapter 15? And we're going to start in verse 36. And while you're turning there, let me set the scene for you. This story includes Paul, again, who wrote most of the New Testament. He's the reason why you and I are here, because he shared the story of Jesus to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. This story also includes a guy named Barnabas, who is really likable. In fact, his name means son of encouragement. He was like the mayor. Everybody liked him. And then there was Mark. Now, Mark was the assistant of Paul and Barnabas. And this is where we pick up the story. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the believers in all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus and Paul took Silas and he left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now Luke, is a great writer who's giving us some of the details of what he investigated about the story of Jesus and the story of the church. But we mentioned this last week at Easter in Luke's gospel. He doesn't give us all the details because these letters were written and they were circulating while these people were alive. So if you wanted more details, you could talk to the people that he's writing about to get those details. And so Luke tells us that there's this 
there's this discussion that's happening around this guy named Mark. Now Mark, according to scholars, is the cousin of Barnabas. He's also the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark, who spent time with Peter and was his scribe. So it's assumed that he's the scribe for Paul and Barnabas as they're writing letters to these Christians that they've encouraged and led to Jesus. And we're told at some point that Mark leaves, deserts them, Paul and Barnabas, without their knowledge. And then we're told that at some point he comes back and there's some sort of reconciliation, at least with Barnabas and maybe perhaps even Paul. But when they decide to move forward and actually continue their work for the kingdom of God, Paul's like, I don't want Mark to come with us because I don't trust him. And Barnabas is like, well, no, I I do trust him and I've forgiven him for deserting us, so he should come with us. And so there's this sharp disagreement between both of them. And so they decide that they can't continue to do ministry together, continue to do work together, so they part ways. And it feels terrible. It feels like this is going to get in the way of what God wants to do in them and get in the way of their friendship. But then Luke says at the very end of the story that the believers commended Paul and Barnabas as they went on their way. They commended them to the grace of the Lord. Now, getting an accommodation, celebration, or an encouragement doesn't happen without some sort of honor. I think Luke includes this because he wants us to understand that even though they disagreed, they still dignified each other. That even though they disagreed, they still valued each other. And the reason why was because honor was present. Paul and Barnabas saw each other, they heard each other, they valued each other, even though they disagreed with one another. And friends, can we just be honest? Like that's special, especially in our time, right? To disagree and to not dismiss. To disagree and to not push aside. To disagree and to still dignify each other. Like you you know that God's got to be involved in that, right? Well, honor was involved in this. And The truth is, in our families, we can often fight and disagree, which is why we need honor. And honor, it allows us to know how to move forward when that takes place. See, honor helps us to determine what is happening in that moment. And we get to make a choice. We can either have conflict with each other or we can have a confrontation with each other. Here's the difference. Confrontation is choosing to stand shoulder to shoulder with someone. I'm no better than you. I'm no worse than you. We are an equal playing field. We are together in this. That's what confrontation actually brings. It invites discussion. It invites conversation. And when discussion and conversation that is honorable, that takes place in an honorable way, it allows people to be heard and it gives them the opportunity to learn. One of the best things you can hear from somebody is not, hey, you were right. One of the best things you can hear from somebody is this, in a disagreement, hey, I learned something. And that's what confrontation in an honorable way actually does. Let me give you a few examples of what a confrontation to start would look like when honor exists. Saying something like, I feel like you're not supporting me. Or I feel like your anger is getting the best of you. I feel like maybe this isn't the best choice for you in that moment. See, it's not accusatory. It creates space for the person to process what you're saying, 
You are observing something and you're saying, here's what I observed. And then you're creating space for them to respond. And you're also creating space to be told that maybe it's an inappropriate observation or maybe you don't know the whole story. And an honorable person, when they are confronted in this way, will respond with, would you give me a recent example of why you seem to think that that's happening? See, because when honor is involved, we're not trying to be right. When honor is involved, we're trying to learn and confrontation allows us to learn. And it's different than conflict. Conflict is choosing to come face to face with someone. And typically that that seems to be good, but often when we're face to face with each other, we're trying to overpower one another. And when we overpower each other, somebody wins, somebody loses, but nobody learns. Conflict is like a, like a peace treaty. You stay there and I'll stay here. This is what we've decided. Here's the line. We're putting the tape down in the middle of the house. We've signed this document. So you stay there and I'll stay here. We just won't talk about it anymore. Conflict can't handle the emotion of the moment. But confrontation is about being in relationship and figuring it out together. I think the best way to see honor in confrontation is through the eyes of an MMA fighter. Now, I know that that might seem ridiculous. A mixed martial arts fighter, you ever seen UFC where they're in the octagon and they are beating each other to a bloody pulp? You might see that and go, how is honor involved in that? Well, here's how. You ever notice that after those matches are over, that whether it's men or women, they hug and embrace and have a moment of intimacy together. They're talking, they're crying, and they're thanking each other and they're expressing gratitude. It seems so weird. You just hit me in the face. You just broke my nose, right? And then afterwards, hey man, what a great fight. I'm so proud of you. What a great way to to get here. What a great way to, to do this. Man, you trained. Like there is this honor that's involved. And the reason why that happens is they have a deep respect for each other's journey to get there. They understand that it didn't just happen. Like they didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I want to fight. They had to train for this moment. And so both of those fighters are acknowledging the work that it took to get there. That's what honor does. Honor is a recognition of your value and your contribution and your importance. And when honor exists in our families, it affords us three things in our family relationships. The first thing it affords us is honor builds relational equity with people. Honor answers this question. Are you with me? Are you for me? Do you really want to help me? Here's how Paul put it to Christians in a city called Corinth. He said, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Honor is the way of love. Honor affords a couple of things in our relationship. The second thing that it affords is this. Honor provides the opportunity to make deposits into the lives of others. When we speak, it's because we've spent time building trust and dignifying and valuing the people around us. Like this is why social media is so terrible when we try to make statements on social media. It's just white noise. It's people trying to say things without the equity of relationship. That's why it doesn't work. That's why it's so important that you have hard, difficult, honest conversations with people in their presence, not screen to screen, but shoulder to shoulder. Paul actually addresses this way back 
in the Bible days in the city of Corinth, he writes to the Christians and he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In other words, I'm not going to treat this person in an undignifying way. I'm going to honor them. And I've learned how to do that. And it's not screen to screen, it's shoulder to shoulder. It's not just through a letter, it's actually in their presence and building equity with them. And the third thing that honor affords us is that honor gives us permission to make withdrawals from one another. That we actually can receive wisdom because we feel honored by people. You ever have somebody that comes to you and says, listen, I'm just going to be really honest. I'm going to say this bluntly. Like they have to set the conversation up before they actually have the conversation with you. You know what friendships I really appreciate and relationships I really love? Is when somebody comes to me and they don't have to set it up. They just say, hey, here's what's going on. And the reason why they can do that is because there's honor. I know that they love me. I know that they care about me. So when they speak to me very bluntly, I know it's not because they don't love me or care about me. They want me to win. And they have shown me that. And so I can hear that from them. Not from everybody. And maybe it's true of you as well. You can't hear from everybody. But there are people in our lives that can just come and say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I see. That's what honor does. It gives us permission to make withdrawals from each other, to gain wisdom. Solomon talks about wisdom in the document of Proverbs in the scriptures. In Proverbs chapter four, he says, get wisdom, get understanding, and don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Friends, honor is the currency in the kingdom of God. It's how we buy and sell. It's how we give and receive. If you want to receive and give in a really godly way, honor must lead the way. And it's following what God has done for us through the person and work of Jesus. This is how God has treated us. Here's how Paul put it in his letter to the Roman Christians. He said, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Now you might ask the question, like, what what does that mean? Here's what it means. That God leveled the playing field. That he doesn't treat you better than me or me better than you. That everybody in the eyes and in the heart and in the mind of God gets equal love and equal forgiveness and equal mercy. Everybody has the same equity with God. Everybody can have access to God through Jesus Christ when he is their Lord. And then Paul says, here's the greatest response we can have to this and how God treats us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is the honorable way forward. And friends, followers of Jesus live with honor. And if we're going to build a better future, honor must be a part of that future. If we're going to build a better future, honor must be a part of the process of building a better future. And I know that honor can be hard. It can be difficult. Honor's hard and difficult when dishonorable things have happened, right? When you've been around dishonorable people or when you've been hurt by them, but Could I just say to you, could we start, could we reset, could we set the table today and begin to consider what honor would look like for us in our families, in our family relationships? Could we begin to consider what honor would look like 
to our spouse or our kids or our parents or our nieces or our nephews or brothers or or, or sisters. Friends, honor has to start with someone. So why don't you go first? Instead of waiting for them to go first. Why don't you go first? Why don't you choose to be the honorable one? To give honor and not expect anything back. To give honor and not expect that they're going to receive that honor and then give you honor back. Or to give honor and not expect that things will immediately be better. Or to give honor and not expect that you only have to do this once. But to live in an honorable way. Even when it's difficult. And by the way, the test of honor is to extend honor to those who are difficult to honor. Right? Because weren't you difficult to honor and I'm difficult to honor when I'm living in my sin and in my mess and didn't God choose to honor us by sending Jesus? And isn't he the one that we look to to model our lives after, to follow, to surrender to? And so what if you go first? What if I go first in my family? What if I decided to live honorably? Can I give you some homework? Homework at church? What? Right? Can I give you some homework for this week? It's simple, but yet we'll stretch you. Here it is. Practice honor. See, hear, acknowledge. See, hear, and acknowledge others. See your kids and your spouse and your family. Hear them. Acknowledge them. Dignify their presence by being present with them. That's honorable. And that's the best way forward. And then come back next week. Because we're going to talk about honor in those marriage relationships. Whether you're dating, engaged, maybe you're living in the same home. But specifically in marriage. There's some great words about how we honor each other. And so I hope that you'll join us next Sunday as we talk about how we build a better future together. Let me pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, the way of honor is difficult. You have shown us that it's not impossible. And so may we be people who live honorably. And discover how we honor our spouses and our kids and our parents and our siblings. Most importantly, discover how we honor you with our words, in our bodies, in our actions. May you be honored in how we honor others. And may we follow the way of Jesus who honored us, found us in our mess and rescued and saved us. May we build a better future together for our families in Jesus' name. And together we say amen and amen and amen. We hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in Ukaipa. See you next time.